Amen. Amen. Second Samuel chapter two. Second Samuel chapter two. While you're finding your place there, another reminder, don't forget that on Saturday, May the 19th, we've sort of set aside that day as a day of prayer for the Oasis, just to pray for our church and for the future of our church and what God is doing and just for his hand of favor and blessing and protection and all of that. And I know you all are praying for the church anyway, but we just, I just really feel like I want our church to be built on the word and on prayer. And so every once in a while, we want to set aside days just to say, God, we're going to dedicate this day to praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the the next day, the 20th on Sunday, again, a special service, doing a service a little bit differently than we normally do. And I think you'll really enjoy it. You won't want to miss Sunday May the 20th. All right. I want to get back to the beginning of chapter 2 because I just want to sort of touch on some things that I didn't touch on last week and then move through chapter 2. First of all, we were studying the book of 2 Samuel, but we're also studying it under the lens of leadership, looking at what God is teaching us through this book when it comes to leadership. And obviously the the most important character that we're going to look at is David, the the life of a growing leader. But we're also going to see leadership principles from other characters in 2 Samuel as well, not just from David. And again, let's remember that one of the things I think God wants to do through this series is to encourage all of us with the fact that He believes we are leaders. He created all of us to be leaders, not just some of us. And whether you look at yourself as a leader or not, or others look at you or not as a leader, God looks at you as a leader. And He wants to grow all of us to be leaders, because one day we will all be leaders in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And He wants to begin building and growing us as leaders through our walk with Him here on earth. And so a lot of valuable stuff here in 2 Samuel chapter 2. First of all, going back to something I touched on last week that I'm just going to pick it up here and start off on a positive note. And that is in verse 1, David sought direction and guidance from the Lord before he did anything. And he had learned this lesson back in 1 Samuel, but it's something I just wanted to sort of jump off of tonight. That, that leaders, we learn to seek direction and guidance from the Lord instead of taking matters into our own hands. That's probably the key to David's triumphs in his life. is when he stopped trying to take matters into his own hands and do it on his own, and he sought direction and guidance from the Lord. And you'll note that God is always more than willing to give guidance and direction when we seek His direction and guidance and when we ask Him for it. It's not that he doesn't want to, it's just most of the time we're trying to live life on our own. But if seeking guidance from the Lord is the key to David's triumphs in his life, then verse 2, in seed form, is the key to David's tragedies. Because you'll notice there, it reminds us, even at this point, that David had two wives that he brought along from Philistia and settled in Hebron. And many people, even Christians, when they read a book like 2 Samuel, because over in chapter 3, we're not going to get to it tonight, but 
right into chapter three, it talks about all his wives and the polygamy and everything. And it's almost like people are like, I don't get it. We read this and it's almost like God just passes over it and doesn't say anything about it. Doesn't the Bible teach that this is wrong? Yeah. But just because God doesn't immediately say, hey, this is wrong, doesn't mean that he approves of what David is doing. God wants us to keep reading. And if you read the rest of 2 Samuel, you will see the pain that David has in his life because of his many wives and his many children from these different wives. He's going to have to endure seeing his own children from these different wives rape and murder each other. We're going to see horrific things that David has to go through. God isn't approving of what David... God just simply saying, read on, you'll find out how bad it was when he disobeyed me in this area of his life. The thing I want to point out as far as leadership goes is this. What David was allowing in his life now was eventually going to be his downfall later on. It it wasn't going to happen immediately. It was going to eventually happen later on. But what he was allowing in his life now, in these relationships with other women, was eventually going to bring him down. We have to always take stock of the fact Is what I'm allowing in my life now building me up, making me stronger, and only going to set me up for success down the road? Or is what I'm allowing in my life now eventually going to cause my life to unravel? Because it doesn't happen at the same time. The Bible teaches by using the the metaphor of, of farming and agriculture that we never reap in the same season as we sow. A farmer always sows in one season and reaps in another. And the Bible says the same thing. You and I don't reap in the same season we sow. So what God is doing here is simply saying, David is reaping some things here by getting involved in more than one wife and all these different things. He's not going to reap the consequences of that though down the road. Until down the road. And it just goes back again to the idea of our spiritual growth is a step-by-step, slow and steady process, but so is the fact that we can become weaker the same way. That, That Christians, we don't go from being, you know, on top spiritually and, and, and in communion and fellowship with God and God using us and us being spiritually strong to being totally spiritually weak overnight. It is a step-by-step backwards process. It's something that the things that we're allowing in our life now are going to show up negatively later on. And so that's why it's important that we always take stock with what are we allowing in our lives? Are the things we're allowing in our lives now building blocks that's only going to set us up for prosperity spiritually down the road? Or are they things that now, by allowing them in our life now, a month from now, a year from now, ten years from now, they're going to cause our downfall? So that's why the Bible handles this whole thing of David's polygamy the way it does. It never approves of it, but it's not like in many times in the Bible going to simply come out after it states something and say, oh, you realize God has a problem with this. Read on. You'll see the problems that are just evident of this. We reap what we sow. It's the way God built the universe. He doesn't need to strike us with 
some lightning bolt. He doesn't work that way. But he is going to let our lives either get stronger day in and day out, or the choices and decisions we make are going to set us up to get weaker day in and day out. And as of now, God is still going to show his favor to David in spite of these bad choices. He does it for a reason, and we'll get to that later on in the study. All right, enough of that. The next principle, verse 3. David also brought along the men who were with him, each with his families, and they settled in the cities of Hebron. The point I want to make by the Bible telling us that basically he took everything out of Philistia and then settled in Hebron is this. He wasn't looking back, he was looking ahead, which is what God wants us to learn to do. He made a complete break with Philistia and made a new beginning in Judah in the city of Hebron that God told him to. And the reason why that's so important as we grow to be leaders is because it shows that David was all in. That that it wasn't like he had stuff still back in Philistia and, and he kept some of his stuff and some of his people and all that back there. And so if it doesn't work out here in Hebron, then he sort of got something to fall back to. That's not the way God wants us to live because that's not living by faith. That's living by sight. That's, that's trying to have sort of built-in security blankets besides God. And the thing we learned from David is when David did leave Philistia, he took everything and everybody with him. He made a complete break with where he was out of the will of God and said, okay, God, I'm on board now. Everything is here. A new beginning. I'm all in. Sometimes the reason why we get involved in things and they fail and they're not as successful as they could or should be is because if we were honest, we're not all in. It's like the Christian who still has one foot in the world trying to, you know, live that way and one foot in, in God's will and in the church trying to navigate that. It just doesn't ever work. It, it's not ultimately successful. It's going to unravel eventually because we're not all in. What we see from David is when he gets to Hebron, he's all in. It reminds us of what Jesus said to the guy uh, who was like, you know, when Jesus said, hey, come follow me, you know, but you're going to have to turn your back on everything and, and be all in. And he said, well, I got to go back and take care of business. And remember what Jesus said? He said, No man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, if you want to be part of what I'm doing, then you've got to be willing to be all in and put your all into it instead of trying to go, well, God, I'm sort of in, but I'm sort of out. That's why leadership, there's such a void in leadership today in every area of society, including the church. Because many Christians aren't all in with God or the church or whatever. It's just, it's part of what they do, but they're really not totally in. And God is looking for people who are going to be totally dedicated, totally consecrated, totally into what he's doing. And we see that from David. Then notice. David was told that the people of Jabesh-Gilead had handled Saul's body in a, in a real respectful way. They buried him and all that. And based upon what we talked about, how 
David handled Saul last week, David wanted to, he wanted to wrap his arms around these people in Jabesh Gilead. And let's remember, the only tribe up to this point that has recognized him as their king was the one tribe of Judah. Well, Jabesh Gilead was from the north. And so one of the reasons why David is reaching out to them is he's, he's going to, in a sense, positively challenge them. Hey, you be the first of any of the tribes up north to acknowledge me as, as king. Don't, don't just go along with the crowd. Don't just go along with what the other tribes are doing. You be strong and you, you recognize what God is doing and that God has anointed me as the king of Israel. And let's get on board and let's, let's come together and let's build something great. That's what leaders learn to do. They learn to rally people around them and cause people to come together to build something greater than they ever could if they stayed separated. Notice what he says to the people at Jabesh Gilead, verse 6. Now may the Lord show you true kindness. Again, for the way they handled Saul and his burial. I will also reward you because you have done this deed. Now be courageous, be strong, be firm, be resolute. Don't be going along with the crowd and prove to be valiant warriors. Very interestingly, in the Hebrew, the term valiant warriors means to come together and build something great. We might think of it in terms of, uh, of, of military and fighting, whatnot, but in this context, the language that David is using is more of come together and let's make something great out of coming together. That's what leaders do. They try to gather people together and unite them for a cause. And you see David doing that here in verses 4 through 7. He wants them to be the first in the north to acknowledge the kingship of David. Then we come to verse 8. Another thing that leaders, all of us need to remember, is that our leadership... At certain times, no matter what we're leading, no matter what it is, is going to face resistance and opposition. It just is. There is no leader in the history of the world that has ever led anything for any amount of time that has not met opposition and resistance. I mean, even think about Jesus. God. Perfect. Did he not meet with constant opposition and resistance against his leadership? Absolutely. And if Jesus met with resistance in leadership, you and I are going to meet with resistance in leadership. It's one of the reasons why God wants to build us to be strong as leaders. To be firm. To be courageous. to be Because people are going to push back at times. And we've got to be strong enough in who we are and what God's called us to, to in a sense, stand up to the opposition and to the resistance. I mean, let's even reduce this down to even in the home. Something real practical. There's not a parent sitting in this room that would say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. My kids always love doing what I told them to do. In fact, my children would come to me and say, Daddy, you're the smartest guy I know. Just you tell me whatever you want and I'll do it. <laughs> no, I, my children did. I, yeah, you know. But outside of my children, yeah. No. Any leader, any parent, anybody in any kind of leadership, you're going to meet with resistance and opposition. And, and we cannot get discouraged 
Or think like, wow, then I'm just going to throw up my hands and give up and throw in the towel when that happens. No, we've got to learn to navigate that in a proper way. And I think David and, and, and God working with David is going to show us how to do that. And basically what happens here, we're not going to take time today, but Abner, we're introduced to him in verse 8. He is the commander and general of Saul's army. Now, he knows he has no right to be the king of Israel because he doesn't have the lineage. He doesn't have the ancestry. But there's one other son of Saul, because remember, Jonathan's already dead. There's one other son of Saul that's alive, but he's a real weakling. His name is Ishbosheth. You sure nobody wants to name their child? I mean, that would be so. Crystal, we've got a new boy in the nursery. His name's Ishbosheth. Actually, it wouldn't be a good name to name your son. It means man of shame. Not good. Anyway, Abner sees an opening here. Because Abner's one of those guys that he wants power, he wants position. And, and he's one of those people that you and I will run into in our lives where he just wants to be on whatever side's winning at the time. It's not about being right or wrong or God's will or not. It's just about very pragmatic, like, Who's, who's stronger right now? And obviously he sees that there's only one tribe who's sort of embraced David as the king. There's 11 other tribes. So basically what Abner does is he cooks up this idea that he, because he's got the military might behind him, he's going to prop up Saul's last son, Ishbosheth, and make him the king of Israel, the other 11 tribes. And he's hoping that through that, that Abner is going to, you know, start to get more and more power in this newfound kingdom after Saul has left the scene. And it basically comes down to the fact that David doesn't want, nor his men, want to gain leadership over the other 11 tribes by beating them into submission. In fact, that's one of the things that you see, I believe, of why the Bible calls, why God calls David a man after God's own heart. Just like he's a type of Christ, because just like Christ, Christ never forced himself on anyone. The, the only people that Christ will come in and start to rule and reign over are the people who invite Jesus in to be their leader. And David is this way as he assumes the leadership of Israel. He never forces his leadership or his king. He never goes to the people of Israel and says something like, you know God anointed me king with Samuel. You know you should bow down to me. You know you should acknowledge me as king, right? He never does that. He never forces people to do it. He feels like if God is in this, and God has called him to be the leader, that eventually God will bring the people of Israel underneath his leadership, and it will be because God did it, not because David did it. Well, see, Abner, like the young Amalekite we saw last week, he's not going to wait for God to bring things about. He's going to make things happen on his own. And so basically, there's this stalemate in Israel. David's leading one tribe. The other 11 tribes are being led by Ishbosheth, but there's not this unity yet. And, and there's still this tension in Israel. So Abner has this plan of there's a group of soldiers from him and Ishbosheth, and there's a group of soldiers from David and, and Joab and all this. And notice in verse 14, Abner says to Joab, Let the soldiers get up and fight before us. 
Joab said, and Joab was sort of the Abner of David's army, the commander, the general. Joab said, so be it, which in the Hebrew means rise up, stand up. Okay, we'll fight. Now I want you to notice something here, very important. Abner is the aggressor. Abner is the one who is on the attack. David wasn't asking for a fight. Joab wasn't asking for a fight. But basically the fight came to them and basically their response was, okay, we didn't look for this, but we're also not going to back down because we know that this is of God and we're going to stand up and we're going to fight. Now look, obviously good leaders never look for a fight. But leaders have to be strong enough that if they're going to be pushed, if they're going to give up ground spiritually because of those who are resisting and opposing them, then they need to be willing to fight and stand their ground, which is what these folks did. Even Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And the point I'm trying to make here is in leadership, certainly we need to pick and choose our battles carefully. And most of the time is not the time to fight. But every once in a while, God wants us to fight because it's worth fighting for. There's something worse than war and fighting. And that is getting to a point where people are so weak that they're not willing to fight for anything. And so these people were willing to say, no, I'm I'm not going to let you push us around anymore. We're going to rise up and we're going to fight. And they have this skirmish. It's pretty nasty. In fact, the place where they were fighting in verse 16 is called the field of sharp swords. In the net, it's the field of flints. But in the Hebrew, it's the field of sharp swords. That doesn't sound too inviting. In fact, in verse 17, the Bible says the battle was very severe that day. But notice, Abner and the men of Israel were overcome by David's soldiers. And basically, David's men won the day. But the Bible now tells us an interesting fact. See, the Bible never wastes words or stories. And many, when we read the book of 2 Samuel, go, why is God telling us about these sons of Zeruah, Joab, Abishai, and Ashuel? I don't get it. Why is he telling us about that? Because we're going to see it affects David. That's why. And basically the bottom line is one of these sons, Ashuel, begins to chase after Abner. And the Bible says Ashuel was quick on his feet as a gazelle in the field. And he chases Abner down. And, and basically when he gets to Abner because of Abner's great military experience and probably because Abner was stronger, Abner ends up murdering Ashuel. Stabs him right through the heart and kills him. Now the point I want to make is this. You'll notice a couple times in this passage, in verse 19, the Bible says that Ashuel, while chasing Abner, did not turn to the right or to the left. In fact, even Abner said, turn, turn aside. Stop, stop following me. Don't follow me anymore. And in verse 23, the Bible says Ashuel refused to turn aside. So Abner basically killed him. The point I want to make is this. Because we're going to see this now in contrast to what Joab and Abishai did here in just a minute. One of the reasons why we've got to be so in tune with God is because there's going to be times in our life 
where we should be tenacious. Sort of like Ashuel. But there's other times where we cross that line and then we begin to go, am I being tenacious? Is it a positive thing or am I just being stubborn? Because let's face it, the choice that Ashuel made by continuing to follow Abner cost him his life. And as a leader, sometimes I've got I've to say, God, I don't know whether I should stay here and be tenacious and hang on whether I die or not and live or die on this or whether I should maybe say, you know what? This isn't something I'm willing to live or die over. I'm going to back off. In fact, you'll notice that his brothers, as they pursue Abner, you can read it for yourself, Abner even turns to them and goes, guys, are we going to continue to have this civil war in Israel where we just kill each other? Stop it. And the Bible does say, in verse 28 of chapter 2, that Joab blew the ram's horn and all the people stopped in their tracks and they stopped chasing Israel and ceased fighting In fact, in verse 30, the Bible says, Joab returned from chasing Abner and assembled all the people. Now, the point I want to make is this. Again, you don't get this in the English, but in the Hebrew language, the phrase returned from chasing Abner literally means to restore, refresh, yes, refuel. So so Joab and Abishai, even though I'm sure that they wanted to pay back Abner for killing their brother, That wisdom prevailed, and instead of continuing to drive themselves, in a sense, and the people around them into the ground, they said, you know what, we're going to live to fight another day. We need to just take a break, get our heads, restore ourselves, refresh ourselves, and refuel ourselves. And that's, again, part of learning to be a leader. Both with myself and the people that I'm leading, I need to know when to continue to sort of put the pedal down and sort of push them a little bit to get out the potential that's there and to, and to try to, you know, motivate them and, and challenge them a little bit and not be so easy. But then there's also that point with ourselves and with others where I need to let the gas off and I need to let them recover. I can't continue to just push, push, push. It's a, what I call the clench fist principle. You can't keep your fist clenched all the time. Eventually, you've got to relax it. And there's ministries and there's Christians, whatever. They just don't know how to let go of that mode. They're just constantly hair on fire, full bore, living life 100 miles an hour all the time. And they, they basically expect others and push others to that same degree. Folks, that is not biblical leadership. We have to learn even with our own lives to lead ourselves before leading others. And one of the things we need to do is know when those times are where we have to say, enough, I need to take a break. I need to relax. I need to be restored. I need to be refreshed. I need to be refueled. Can I tell you, in talking to some people who are coming to the Oasis from other churches, one of the things I'm hearing is, I hope you don't mind, Pastor Jeff, but we're just here just to, just to take a break and just to be re-energized because the church we came from, we, are, we were burned out. I mean, we volunteered for something and they just, 
we never got a break and we were expected this and expected that and we just feel like we are just, we've got nothing. And I say, it's okay. You're going to have seasons in your life as a Christian where you just need to take a break and be restored and be refueled and be refreshed. But there will come that point as you start to gain your strength back that you'll get back into it and God will be the one to lead you to do that, not another human being. And so we see wisdom here. And again, all I'm saying is it just shows us the importance of being in tune with God because when do we stay with the pedal down? When do we be like Ashuel and we don't give up and we stay tenacious and we stay on their heels no matter what? And when do we say, no, you know what? I'm just being stubborn now. I'm just, I'm just beating my head against the wall and, and I've got to back up. And so it's really important that we learn when to do that again in our own lives and especially with those that we are leading. Chapter 3. However, the war was prolonged between the house of Saul and the house of David. Again, notice this struggle for leadership and, and who was going to be in charge and all that wasn't something that got quickly resolved. Just as much as it took 15 years from the time that Samuel anointed David to get to this point, it was going to, as we said last week, take seven more years for David finally to have all the tribes of Israel underneath him. 22 years from the time that Samuel anointed David to the time that David finally assumed throne of all the tribes of Israel. Waiting on God's timing as we talked about last week. But notice... Another reason why God wants to build strength into our life is because many of the challenges that we face in life, whether we're just talking about life or leadership or whatever, are going to be prolonged. And that's why we need the endurance. We need the, the stamina, in a sense, that God can only provide in order to hang in there for prolonged periods of time and not give up. And so you'll notice something very interesting. The Bible says here, very important, in chapter 3, verse 1, David was becoming steadily stronger while the house of Saul was becoming increasingly weaker. Wow. Let's stop there for a minute. Again, going back to the point of either in my life right now, I am taking the steps and I'm making choices and decisions that step by step I'm becoming stronger or the choices and decisions that I'm making on an everyday basis is causing me to get weaker and weaker. And again, just as we talked about earlier with David and his wife, it's not going to always show up right away. My strength or my weakness. It might not really show up till down the road somewhere. Maybe some crisis hits my life or, or maybe something big happens or whatever. Eventually, it's going to be seen. And that's why we've got to just concentrate every day on just doing what God wants us to do every day and taking the steps this day to make myself stronger. And I realize I'm speaking to the wrong people. Because even by the fact that you guys choose to be here on a Tuesday night, when it would be very easy for you after a long day already to just go home and not be here, shows God you're going to make the extra effort in order to try to do what you can do to build yourself stronger. And I want to look at this under the microscope because each word is very important. First of all, the word becoming. David was becoming. Literally in the Hebrew means to make progress. Again, obviously we know David wasn't perfect. 
We know this already. But he was making progress. As I tell Christians all the time, God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for progress. Second, the word steadily. Becoming steadily stronger. The word steadily in the Hebrew means step by step. Not leaps. Again, like last week, God is not going to take us from point A to point K. Spiritually, he takes us to A, to B, to C, one step at a time. And so all God is asking each of us tonight is, what is that next step God wants us to take that's going to make us stronger? What does that look like? Now, maybe right now, maybe you're in that as you climb that mountain of spirituality. Maybe you're in a place where God just wants you to hold there for a minute and, and refresh and refuel and not keep climbing. But there is going to come a point where God's going to say, okay, let's start climbing again. And what is that step that you and I need to take to start climbing higher up that mountain towards becoming more like Christ? That's all God's looking for. Again, we get so far ahead that we're looking too far down the road and God's saying, Jeff, that's the next step I want you to take. And then the word stronger here means to be firm in order to withstand and prevail. In other words, it's the idea that strong means that I've got to be firm in who I am and what God's called me to and not be intimidated and not be pushed around and not be, you know, overrun. There's a time to stand. And in order to stand, I've got to be strong. I've got to be firm. Years ago, now, when I first became a pastor, one of my spiritual mentors told me, Jeff, a good pastor needs to be a velvet brick. You need to be soft and tender, but you also need to be strong on the inside. I think that's true for every Christian. God wants to make us strong. Now, I want to share with you one thing here about this. How do we get stronger? Well, one of the aspects, this isn't, this isn't all of it, but one of it is, it comes from David's own lips in Psalm 27, verse 14, when he says, wait on the Lord and he will strengthen your heart. Psalm 27, verse 14, wait on the Lord and he will strengthen your heart. And the reason I bring that up is because that's one aspect of how we grow stronger. And what I mean by that is, remember, David wasn't inactive. He would do the things that God asked him to do. But he was also waiting at this moment on God to bring about him ascending to being the leader of Israel. And instead of him burning up his own energy to try to make it happen, he was resting and waiting in the Lord. And that's a very important principle. That's many times why we're losing our strength is because we're trying to make things happen in our own strength. We're trying to burn up all this energy in our life to try to make something happen instead of resting and letting God bring it about. And so in a sense, it's, it's not so much that, that in this aspect, we're, we're building strength into our life, but we're certainly not losing it by trying to bring it about in our own point. And that's, I think, a great point that David makes. I was at this point waiting on the Lord, and so my heart was being strengthened. David wasn't out there uh, unnecessarily just 
like I said, basically pouring out his energy on trying to bring this about in his own strength. He let the Lord bring it about. Then I want to go down here to verse 6. Notice the Bible says the war continued between the house of Saul and the house of David. It wasn't getting anywhere. And finally, the Bible is going to say here in chapter 3 that Abner and Ishbosheth haven't falling out. Well, that's probably, you know, you could see that coming, right? And basically, now what Abner does is becoming this pragmatist that he's starting to see that this Ishbosheth is just too weak. He, he's never going to pan out as a leader of Israel. So now he flip flops. And now Abner is wanting to throw all of his support behind David. And notice, he goes to David in verse 12. And Abner sent messengers to David saying, To whom does the land belong? Make an agreement with me and I will do whatever I can to cause all Israel to turn to you. Wow. And David has a choice at this point. Talk about leadership. There's so much in here. I'm probably going to have to draw it to a close here in just a moment. First of all, we have to learn who we can trust. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 26, that the righteous person is cautious in their friendship. And it's okay for us to give relationships time as far as to know who we can really trust. Even then, can I tell you, and David found this out as well, there's sometimes where I had people who were part of my inner circle, like David did, that I found out later on were the ones who turned their backs on me. And there were other people that I was sort of very suspicious about and kept them at arm's length. And then I found out that they were actually people that I could rely on and trust. David is going to find the same thing out here with Abner and Joab and Abishai. Joab and Abishai are right there. They're part of David's inner circle. And he's going to find out in time they weren't as much for David as he thought they were. And Abner, this guy that obviously has been very opposed to David up to this point, now all of a sudden it's like, maybe he's had a change of heart. Maybe I should trust him. Maybe I should allow God to use him to help bring this about. Folks, this takes a lot of wisdom on our part to know it. And sometimes, can I just say, sometimes we don't know it until time passes. I, I can tell you stories of even in ministry down through the years where there were people that I thought, oh, you know what? They're solid, man. We're going we're gonna to build a ministry with these people. And as time went on, it was like, you couldn't rely on them or depend on them at all. And there were other people that, again, I'm just being honest, because we all do it. You look at them and go, ah, you know, they're, they're probably not going to really be a pillar in the church. And they ended up being like the most rock-solid people in the world. It's hard sometimes to judge how people are going to turn out. And who's really going to be with you and who's not going to be with you. Which again, all the more reason why we need to be in tune with God and just take these things to God and ask for God's insight and God's wisdom. And at this point, David is, says, 
Okay, I'll make an agreement with you. Let's do this. All I'm saying is, folks, before you put somebody in that kind of position in your life, before you bring somebody into that level of trust, bathe it in prayer and make sure that this is something that you have a peace about and that that God is in it. Because, folks, there is nothing that is going to blow up our lives as individuals and as leaders if we don't put the right people around us. He who walks with the wise, Proverbs says, shall be wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. And really, our lives are going to be a lot due to who do we hang around with and who do we spend time with and who's closest to us and who, you know, who do we give that, that privileged position of, of sort of our inner circle and, and the closest people to us. That's huge. That, that of, of all things, might determine where we end up. And so David here might even be taking a little bit of a risk, but he opens himself up to Abner. So Abner, man, he just, pshoom, he goes for it. He starts going around all of Israel saying, guys, we got to rally around David. It's God's will. You mean this guy knew all along that it was God's will that David be king, but he was still doing something else anyway, even though he knew David, God wanted David to be king? Yeah, it's called sin. sin when we're sinning, sin doesn't make sense. We do stupid things. You mean I can know it's God's will and yet I still choose to do something else? Yeah. Abner did the same thing. He knew God wanted David to be king and yet he was still, for a while, on the other side fighting against David. Strange what we do. But notice, Abner in verse 17, I'll finish with this. Abner advised the elders of Israel, previously you were wanting David to be your king. Two of the most important words in the Bible. Act now. For the Lord has said to David, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the Philistines and from all their enemies. Do it now. Observe it now. Folks, there comes a point where there doesn't need to be any more talking or meetings or deliberation or whatever. There's time in our lives where we know this is what God wants us to do. And instead of delaying any longer, just do it. Until it is done, it is undone. And the question that God brought to my heart and mind as I studied this is, Jeff, what in your life is left undone? If you know this is what I want you to do, if, this is, if you know this is the direction I want you to go, then do it and do it now and quit stalling and quit delaying and quit waiting. Do it now. As we end tonight, this is a great picture. I want you to see this. This is really cool. It's really important. I want you to see how David coming to the leadership and throne of Israel parallels our lives as Christians. When David was first coming on board, there was a lack of submission. All of Israel wasn't on board. It is like us when we accept Christ as our Savior as a Christian and however many months and years goes by, and yet we may not be submitting to our King. And when there's a lack of submission in a nation to who God wants to rule or a lack of submission in our own lives to who should be ruling, guess what's going to come? 
warfare, conflict. And in many Christians' lives, their life is nothing but conflict and war because they know what God wants them to do. They know they should be all in. They know they should be submitting and surrendering and putting Jesus on the throne of their life and letting Him lead. But they still are holding on to these other things. And so their lack of submission leads to this period in their life of warfare and conflict. And all along, just like with David, God is urging all of us and prompting us to just put Him on the throne. And really cool, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see when Israel finally puts King David on the throne, there's peace. It's so parallel to our lives. We know who we should be surrendered to. He's our king. He should be on the throne running our lives. But when we refuse to submit and surrender, there's all this internal conflict and warfare going on in our lives just like with what was going on in Israel, because they all weren't bought in, submitted to the king. But when they finally put David on the throne, where he belonged, there was peace. Great advice by Abner to the elders of Israel. We all know that David should be the king. So why are we waiting? Let's act now and put him on the throne. Is there something in your life right now that is left undone? You know this is what God wants you to do. Just haven't stepped up and done it. There will be no peace in your life until that happens. Trust me, I know. I've been at that point many times in my life. From surrendering to be a pastor, I'm just going to pick two tonight. I could pick 200. Surrendering to start a church. There was a lot of internal conflict and warfare going on in Jeff Royce's life because I knew at times in my life this is what God wanted and I wasn't surrendered to it yet. You and I, We hold the key to getting rid of that warfare and conflict internally. All it takes is total surrender to the king. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us this great story of David and his life and and the struggles and the conflict and all of this. Because, Lord, it's our life. It's what our life is like. It's real. Whether it's with ourselves or with others, as we keep climbing, Lord, it's not easy. It's why we need to be strong. It's why we need to grow stronger every day and take those steps every day to keep building that strength and that firmness and that courage and that resoluteness in our life. God, help us to become the leaders that you want us to be. Our church needs leaders. The church of Jesus Christ needs leaders. Our country needs leaders. This world needs leaders. We need people who are willing to step up and step out for Jesus Christ. May it start with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. Hope to see you Sunday.